Okay, so just to, uh, to echo the sentiment that my wife uh, just mentioned, first of all, again, a big thank you to uh, Benny Wolfson and his agent Kyle for opening their home. As my wife said, it should be, you know, whenever a person opens up their home for learning and for chesed and for just Jews coming together, you know, for a good cause, for a good reason, you know, it opens up the gates in Shemayim. It should be a source of bracha and chef and parnasa and siyat the Shemayim, all levels of gashmis of Ruchnis for you and the whole mishpacha, the whole kilo of Kal Yisrael. And the learning today should be Lili Nishmas, Lezecher Nishmas, Avram Nachman Ben Zev, Neshavash of Aliyah. And, uh, you know, the rule is when things go up, so good things come down. Okay, it's so with that Aliyah, again also, Shef Abrach and Hatzlacha should come to the whole Mishpacha. Twelve Klai Yisrael should be Meil Tziyosha for the whole Mishpacha and, and for all of us, he was a big tzaddik, so. And certainly he's uh, continuing to be active, you know, even more so after he's not held back by the goof anymore. Okay, so let me share with you an idea, you know. Uh, just entered the month of Teves, so... The month of Tevis is interesting. The, 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 there's, a, you know, most months, except for one, which is Cheshvan, but every month has a day, has something, you know, it's claimed to fame. And so the month of Tevis has a day of Asar Tevis, the fast of Asar Tevis, which is this Friday, actually. Asar Tevis. What happened on Asar Tevis? So the 10th of Tevis was a day where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bavil, who destroyed the first base of Mikdash, he began his assault on Yerushalayim. He laid siege against the walls of Yerushalayim. That was Asar B'tavis. And that's the fast that we uh, commemorate that event with, Asar B'tavis. Now what's interesting is, is that when it comes to Asar B'tavis, the fast of, uh, of the 10th of Tevis, is that it's unique in the fact that if, theoretically, Asar B'tavis would fall out on Shabbos, it doesn't, the calendar is made in such a way where it doesn't, but if, theoretically, Asar B'tavis were to fall out on Shabbos, we would fast even on Shabbos. Now that's an unbelievable chiddush. If Tishabah falls out on Shabbos, we push it off. We fast on Sunday. Any other day, we, you know, Yom Kippur, except Yom Kippur, but any fast day that theoretically falls on Shabbos, we would not fast on Shabbos. Sarbatev is an exception. So the first thing we have to think about is why, why is that? What is so special, so unique to Sarbatev is that it's so, it, it's so important to, to connect, to try to fix that problem of the walls of Yerushalayim being laid siege, that even on Shabbos we would fast. Also, you know, when we think about walls, the theme of Asar B'tavis is walls. So in this week's parasha, Parshas V'yigash, there's a particular person that's also associated with walls. We know that the Tar says that, you know, once the brothers find out that it was Yosef in Mitzrayim, so Yosef says, you know, there's going to be a famine now for a bunch of years, the whole Mishpacha should come to Egypt. So we know that the Tar describes how Yaakov Avinu and, and the whole family come to Mitzrayim. <clears throat> and Shivan Nefesh, 70 souls, 70 people. And so... Rashi brings down from the Gemara that if you count the names, it's only 69. When it says, it says all the names of people that went down to Egypt, Yaakov and the whole family, is only 69. Yet it says there were 70. So it was the 70. So I'll say Yechavet, the mother of Maishar Abena. She was number 70. And why is she not counted? Why is her name not mentioned explicitly? Because Nolda Ben Hachanas, because she was born between the walls. Like as they were passing through the walls of Mitzrayim, that's exactly when, when uh, she was born. That's when she was, uh, her mother delivered her. Which is a, a strange thing. Clearly it's Ashkach Pratis. That the mother of Maishar Beinu, the mother of redemption, Yechevet, herself, should be born between the walls. So you have to understand, what is this concept of the walls of Yishalayim, the walls? Why is the Sarbatev so important like that? That's number one. Number two. 
you know, there's a there's a, a pro, there's a there's a concept. It goes back to Avraham Avinu, in fact, that every single month is connected with a particular letter of the Aleph base. What makes the Aleph base unique? One of the things that makes it unique is that we don't believe them to just simply be letters that just you know. You need to have letters in order to talk, in order to have words. The letters of the Aleph base have an energy. There's a kayach to them. The Rabbanu Shalom created the world with the letters of the Aleph base. Not so with uh, the American alphabet or, or things like that. The Aleph base have an inherent power and an, an inherent energy. And there's a concept that goes back to Avraham Avinu that every month is connected and was created in a certain sense from a particular letter. So what's the letter of the month of Tevis? Because if you want to understand what Tevis is and what we're supposed to be working on during this month, to know what the letter is. So the letter of Tevis is the letter Ayin. The letter Ayin. So let's understand, what is the Indian of the letter Ayin? So, the, the letter Ayin, the word Ayin, means an eye. means to see. And therefore, the Avaida, what all of us have to work on during this month in particular, along with you know, everything else we have to work on, is the Indian of eyesight. The Indian of eyes. The Indian of eyes. Believing how the Rabbana Shalom also has eyes, so to speak, to watch over the world. We see, you know, you find that Eretz Yisrael, which again, Asar B'Tevis is the first fast that, we're, that, we, that we do to commemorate the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash and us and our exile from Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is described as a place of Eine Hashem but that the eyes of Hashem are gazing upon it from the beginning of there to the end of the year. So Eretz Yisrael is associated with the eyes of Hashem. The eyes of Hashem. And so Asar B'Tevis, right, when the beginning of the exile takes place, it's associated with eyes. We have to repair the eyes. Even the walls of Yerushalayim, this is all over the place, I know. I'll, I'll, we'll get there soon, together. But even the walls of Yerushalayim we find in Navi is also associated with keeping one's eyes open. There's a Pasuk in, um, in Yeshaya Navi. It's a famous Pasuk. It became a song. It's a famous song. Old school song. It's, uh, it's Yeshai, I think it's Perak Samach Beis, I think. Yeah, the Pasuk says like this, Al Chomosayich Yerushalayim, Hifkadeti Shomrim. The Novi says that over the walls of Yerushalayim, says Hashem, I have placed watchmen, I have placed guards, Shomrim. Kol Yom And these guards, these watchmen, are standing over the walls of Yerushalayim all day and all night. And what are their, what's their function? <coughs> that they're constantly on guard, watching the walls of Yerushalayim, reminding Hashem about Yerushalayim, making sure that Hashem doesn't fall asleep, that Hashem doesn't close His eyes. This idea that the walls have guards, the idea of a guard, of a watchman, is someone that keeps his eyes open, that's the point. If a, guard, if a guy is on, on, you know, watching something, he's being hired, hired to watch something, and he's asleep, well, guess what? He's not watching it. Hashem is described as our watchman, the one that protects us. And a watchman means he's not asleep. Being asleep means your eyes are closed. And so the walls of Yerushalayim, again, all these things being connected to each other. The month of Teves, when the walls of Yerushalayim relate siege. The month of Teves is connected to the letter I, which means eyes. The walls are a place that have watchmen making sure that the eyes are open, watching over the Jewish people. Eretz Yisrael, the place where Hashem's gaze is, is fixed, the eyes of Hashem are watching. This week's Parsha, Yecheved being born between the walls, the mother of redemption, Meish Rabbeinu, bringing us ultimately out of Mitzrayim towards Eretz Yisrael, the eyes. Right, so how do you make sense of this? What exactly does it mean? What's, what does it mean in practical terms, <clears throat> this avaida of trying to work on one's eyes? So it's like this. We believe that Hashem created the world, now we believe 
And we believe that once Hashem created the world, He didn't just let it go, and just on autopilot. The Rabbi Hashem is involved. And the word that we have, two words that we have to describe Hashem's very, very intimate and close relationship and attachment with the world is Hashgacha Pratis. Hashgacha Pratis, divine providence, but detailed divine providence. Right? Something happens like a coincidence, oh, I haven't seen that person in a million years, and I didn't punk now, I was just thinking about them and they happened to call me. Hashgacha Pratis. So Hashgacha Pratis is described as Hashem's eyes being fixed on the world. The eyes of Hashem, when it says that Hashem is fixated in Eretz Yisrael, He's looking at Eretz Yisrael, what does it feel like what does it feel like when Hashem is looking at you? To be, so, to be seen by Hashem means that your life is being guided. That's what it means. That's what it means. Hashkacha Pratis. So the avoid of this month, to repair the eyes, is to reinforce within ourselves the belief, that we all believe, it's just to strengthen it, the belief in Hashkacha Pratis. So let's talk about that for a second, what Hashkacha Pratis means exactly. Right? You know, just to, get, to understand a little bit on to, what exactly that means, Hashkacha Pratis, and... and and what goes along with believing in Ashkacha Pratis. So it's like this. A little bit of a, of a history in the concept of Ashkacha Pratis. For a, a very significant uh, part of Jewish history, the belief, the belief in Ashkacha Pratis was the following, which is, like what I'm about to say, the Rambam writes this, the Ramban, many great people in like, you know, Rishonim, during the medieval times and so on, until... About a couple hundred years ago, when the Baal Shem Tov came to the world, this was the following approach to Ashgacha Pratis, which is as follows. Is that there is such a thing as nature. There is such a thing as nature. Which means that if something happens to a person, the Rabbani Shalom certainly knows what's going on. He certainly knows what's happening in a person's life. But is it true that everything that happens to a person's life, to the smallest detail, is actually being being uh, being guided by Hashem, or is there such a thing as statistics? Maybe there's such a thing as nature. There are a bunch of just watching, making sure that nothing goes too crazy, but ultimately there is such a thing as numbers and statistics and things happen because things happen. For many, many years, the Jewish people believed that there was such a phenomenon of nature and statistics. If a person is, and Hashem is watching, making sure that nothing, again, nothing, nothing happens to a person that they don't, that's like too out of what they deserve, but there is such a phenomenon as things happen, because things happen. If a person, the Rambam writes, for example, that if a person is a big tzaddik or a big tzaddikist, and they, 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 they're growing, and they're, they always have Hashem on their mind, so then Hashem, to that particular person, will pay close attention to their lives, and then everything in that person's life will be Hashem hands-on. But for the average person, the Rambam, the Ramban, Rishonim, many Achronim, even Kabbalists believe that no, Hashem is not necessarily hands-on in every single person's life. There is such a phenomenon where you go and, you know, person, uh, you know, uh, you know if, let's say a wind blows and a particular, you know, branch, you know, is, is knocked off a tree and it falls down and, you know, it's a person's car or something or, or den, you know, whatever the case may be. That could just be nature, just the way it is. Hashem is watching. Nothing happens without Hashem knowing about it. But Hashem is not necessarily hands-on in everyone's life in the, most, in the most particular way. This was the belief. And therefore, it was understood that only by the big tzaddikim and the big tzaddikonias is everything in their lives governed to the smallest detail. And by the way, even by a big tzaddik, maybe not everything in their life is governed like that. 
maybe big things in their life, big events, you know, like, like people think like, you know, when you get married, like who your bashert is, oh, that's a big thing. So Hashem is certainly involved in like Shadochim. Hashem is certainly involved in, in having children and things like this. But I go to the grocery store, what apple that I'm picking off the shelf, was it, whatever, it's just an apple, it's just arbitrary, it's nature, it's just random. Hashem is watching, but it's just random. The Baal Shem Tov came to the world in the 1700s, and one of the main teachings of, of Hasidus is to change that assumption. The Baal Shem Tov taught that it's completely incorrect what people were thinking until now. Hashgacha Pratis, and this is something that I think probably we all assume now, but it's important to get sort of the historical background to appreciate the Chiddush of it. The Baal Shem Tov came and said, it's not true. Even though we live in a world where, on the outside, we experience things as nature, right? And uh, I mean, let's say you have a person that throws a ball, right? So you could have, you, could have you, know, uh, uh, you know, statisticians, and you could have scientists and mathematicians calculate based on how much energy, you know, the person put into, into the throw, and based on how the wind is blowing, and, you know, the, uh, the air pressure and all that stuff, they could calculate exactly where the ball is going to land. That seems like nature. And Hashem is just watching it, but that's, that's how it goes. It's just nature. It's just uh, statistics and numbers and natural phenomenon. Said the Baal Shantiv, that's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. When a person throws a ball, the Rabbana Shalom is being hands-on to the smallest detail of the smallest thing, even things that don't seem to matter at all. The Rabbana Shalom is paying close attention to that. And even though it seems that when, you, when this guy throws the ball, the mathematicians will tell you, I'll tell you from the beginning where it's going to land, and they end up being right. And they end up being right every time. Said the Baal Shantiv, it's not because of that. It's Bahashkacha Pratis. There's a divine providence that for whatever reason, the Rabbanu wanted that ball to leave that guy's hand and to get into that spot. Why? We have no idea. But that's what the Rabbanu wanted. Every single time, the Rabbanu is so unbelievably amazing at his job of keeping himself hidden, is that every single time something happens for a specific reason and God is doing it for his particular reason, he clothes it he puts on the costume of nature. And so to us, simple human beings, it just looks like something that is natural and normal and we could calculate it happening before it does. But it's all an illusion. Hashgach HaPratis exists to every small thing, even things that don't seem to matter at all. Uh, it's a, you know, the, 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 the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, so he, he wrote, he said that according to the Baal Shem Tev, the, if, if there's a wind that blows, random, like there's no people around, it's just there's a, there's a rainstorm in the Amazon, whatever it is, and a wind comes and knocks a leaf off a particular tree. The trajectory, how that leaf takes from the tree to the ground, hashkacha pratis. Everything. I, why would God care about such a thing? Hashkacha pratis means that everything in life is meaningful, everything in life is part of Hashem's world. And just like when you have a, a painting, for example, Every single detail of the painting was done for a reason. Now, we might not realize it, like as, a, as people that are not painters, we might not appreciate maybe every nuance of every little corner of the painting. But clearly, it's not just there, Stam. If we believe 100% that every single detail of life is being created by the Almighty every single second, that it's not here because it was here a minute ago, it's here because Hashem wants it to be here right now, then everything is being governed by Him. This table that we're sitting in front of isn't existing right now, not because it was once upon a time fashioned in a, you know, by, by a, whoever, I don't know, whoever makes tables. It was made by a person that made a table. So the guy made a table uh, 10 years ago, that's why it's here right now. 
Or it's here right now because it was here a second ago. Of course it's here now. What should happen? It should just disappear. That's, ne- that's, that's looking at a table with eyes of nature. That's not Hashgacha Pratis. Hashgacha Pratis means that the table is here right now because Hashem wants the table to be here right now. And if He didn't want it to be here right now, you know what would happen? No table. And it would be really weird if that were to happen. And we would have to figure out how, how such a thing happened. But if Hashem wants it to be here, that's why it's here right now. And that's true for each and every one of us. If we're here and breathing, Baruch Hashem, alive and well right now, it's not because we were born 30 years ago. So of course, you're born 30 years ago, that means that you're alive right now. Because, you know, thankfully nothing happened to stop that. That's not true. We're alive right now, not because we were alive a minute ago. We're alive right now, because Hashem wants us to be alive right now. Everything's Bashkach You know, they say a story that um, when the Baal Shem Tov taught this, so there was, a, there was a Yid, one of his students, that came to him and said, you know, Rabbi, I have a hard time... Like, I believe what you're saying, but I have a hard time, like, really, like, processing such a thing, that everything's Bashkach but that Hashem, like, pays attention to... I, I have a hard time processing such a thing. So Baal Shem said, okay, I'll give you an example. He said, you know, on the outskirts of the city... There's a forest on the outskirts. So it said like this, tomorrow at 4.03, 4.03, go to this, you know, you go to the outskirts of the, of the town, you'll see by the forest there's a particular tree. He gives, the Baal gives a description of what the tree looks like. Go stand by that tree at 4.03 and watch what happens. Okay, fine. So Chassid goes to the forest, he goes to the tree at like, you know, 3.45, just make sure he's there early, whatever. Comes, he looks at his watch, oh, it's 4.03. So like, what happens? So a gust of wind comes. And the gust of wind knocks off a leaf. Okay? That's the only thing that happened in 403, so he's paying attention. The leaf falls to the ground. And then all of a sudden, he realizes that the leaf fell on top of a caterpillar. And the caterpillar began to eat the leaf. That's what caterpillars do. Okay. He's looking for, he's waiting for something else to happen in 403. Nothing happens. So he goes back to Balshan and said, I was there. So Balshan said, What did you see? I didn't see anything. Like nothing. Uh, said, what, Tell me what you saw. So he said, okay, there was a gust of wind and it knocked the leaf off and it came to, fell on the floor. And the Baal said, and what happened when it was on the floor? He said, well, there was a caterpillar. The caterpillar started to eat. The Baal said, the Rebbe made that caterpillar for a reason. It's not a caterpillar to some, because caterpillars, you know, you know uh, give birth to new caterpillars. No, that caterpillar was, was decreed from the Rebbe that it had to exist. And because the Rebbe wants that caterpillar to exist, the Rebbe also feeds that caterpillar. The Rabbanu Shalom knew from the beginning of time that that particular leaf had to be eaten by that particular caterpillar at exactly that spot, at exactly that time. And that gust of wind was custom made by the Rabbanu Shalom to give the parnasa to that caterpillar. This is what it means to repair the eye. You see, what is, what is Gullus? What is Gullus? Gullus is described, you know, the Jewish people in exile are described as sleeping. Talks about how what it's going to be like when we come out of Golas. So Davimel says, Hayinu kachomen, that looking back at exile, it's like we were asleep, it's like we were dreaming. And I mentioned when you're asleep, your eyes are closed. Golas means, the depth of Golas means to live in life thinking that the table is here, because the table was here 10 minutes ago. That's why it's here. To live a life where our eyes just process nature, that's all it is. And we have to remind ourselves every once in a while. You say, Maida'ani, make a bracha, whatever it is. You remind yourself, oh, Taka, I remember this, Taka, there's a creator, there's a God. That's gullus because you're, the, the, that's called your eyes being, open, being closed. The person's not seeing reality as it is. Gula, redemption means, that Hashem is watching the world. His eyes are open constantly. And when Hashem watches the world, let's understand, watching the world doesn't mean that He's 
from the back, you know, from the distance, just making sure things run smoothly, making sure things don't fall apart on it. No, Hashem watching the world means that He's guiding everything, that everything is, is, is being guided for a particular reason. What Hashgachar Pratis does, to believe in Hashgachar Pratis, what that does to a person, is that, first of all, on the most simplest of levels, it certainly brings um, a, a sense of responsibility of life, right? Because you just, everything is significant. Everything is significant. So very often the Yitzhar tries to convince us, like, ah, what's the difference if I, you know, if I do this or I don't do that? Does it really make a difference if I make a bracha right now? Does it really make a difference if I have a little bit more patience with, you know, the person in front of me or not? So, whatever. But if you believe in Ashkach HaPratis, that means that the conversation that, you know, if, if, if let's say there's, there's a situation where you're talking to someone, you're having a conversation with someone, that's not, just, that's not stam. Like, why are you talking to this person? Well, because I happen to see him. Like, you know, we, we met somewhere just now. The store, the house, or the office, the office or whatever it is, we just met. So I'm talking to them. No, 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 it's Ashkach HaPratis. The Rabbanu wanted this person to have a conversation with that person. That conversation becomes meaningful. The moment becomes very significant. And that means that there's a sense of responsibility to make sure the moment is, is, lives up to its potential. Because every moment is saturated with potential. If you believe in nature, then any given moment is not really so meaningful. It is, because it is. But if you believe in Ashkach HaPratis, it means that everything is everything's big. There's no, such thing as a, there's no such thing as a small moment or a small person or a small experience. There's no such thing. That's why in Hasidus, according to the Baal Shem Tov, you will not find in, amongst the students of the Baal Shem Tov or amongst the Svarim coming from that world talk about like, like Bashert or like, you know, a person gets married of like, you know, uh, like that, that, the, 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 that, that big event in life, oh, that's Bashert. Everything's Bashert, what does it mean? Everything's custom made. You go to the store, what apple you pick off the shelf, it's also Bashert. There's no more, Hashem is not paying any more attention to the big events in a person's life than the smallest events in a person's life. Everything is Bashkach HaPratis. Hashem's eyes are open. Hashem is guiding. He's watching. He's involved. Everything is hands-on. What this also means, in a deeper level, it means that not only does believing Bashkach HaPratis, first of all, give a sense of responsibility of life. You have to take moments seriously and live up to the potential of, every, of any given moment. It means... It means that everything in my life is being orchestrated in a way that's best for me. That's also what it means. If the person, again, believes in nature, then things can happen randomly. And who says it's ultimately for my best? Things just work out. Just It's numbers, it's statistics, it's, uh, it's chaos. But if you live in Ashkach HaPratis, everything is significant and everything is for your best. And everything is being guided towards, towards, towards you becoming the best you that the Rabbani Shalom had in mind. Everything is custom-made in that way. And deeper than that, what it also means is that the Rabbani Shalom is, that, that, that our relationship with God is so intensely, it's so intensely one with Hashem that you can never go away from it. See, if you believe in nature, again, without Hashkach HaPratis, right, then where is Hashem? Well, I don't know, I have to go find Him. Maybe I have to go to a shul, maybe I have to go to a shir, maybe I have to, uh, I have to wait for a Shabbos or a Yontif. And those are moments, those are places where God is. But, we're, but on a random day when I'm just driving my car, or like, I don't know, whatever it is that I'm doing, but that's where God is. That's not where God is. God is, you know, in those special moments. He's in those bashert moments. But if you believe in Ashkach HaPratis, it's not true at all. Ashkach HaPratis says every moment is significant. Live up to it. 
Hashkacher Prata says every moment is custom made to bring you to the to become the person you're supposed to become. And Hashkacher Prata also means that every single moment is saturated with God's presence. And He's mamish with you in everything that you're doing. There's no such thing. There's no such thing conceptually as being in a moment that's godless. That's without a, that's outside of God's world. There's no such thing. We're in His world. We don't have to we don't have to bring Him into our world. We're in His world. We're part of that painting. Every single part of the painting is, is from the painter. You can't escape that in the best of ways. This is why, by the way, going back to that Pusik in Sefer Yishai, describing Hashem establishing watchmen over the walls of Yerushalayim. Whereas Hashem establishing this idea that he's always, His eyes are always open. He's always paying attention. The context of it is amazing, because before the, that, the Pusik before this, it says, Ki yival bachar besula, the Pasuk describes our relationship with the Rabbani Shalom like a chasen and kala. That just as a chasen and kala come together and they're together and they're besimcha, so too Hashem and the Jewish people are together like that, like a chasen and kala. And then the Pasuk says, and on the walls of Yishalayim I've established guards keeping the eyes open. What, are the eyes, what do the eyes have anything to do with a chasen and kala? A chasen and kala is like this. A chasen and kala, as we know, a chasen and kala means... Like, there's no time off. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, like when, you're, when you're single and you're young, okay, so, you know, you go to school, whatever it is, you're, you're with your friends, you act a certain way because you're with your friends, and then you leave. You can sort of be yourself. There's no, chas it's not like that. You're, you're absolutely one. Every single thing that you do, you're doing as a couple. Again, it doesn't mean that, you all, that you're physically always together as a couple every single moment, but mentally and spiritually, you're one. A husband and wife, ishta kagufa, right? Husband and wife are two parts of the same neshama. It's a, there's no such thing as being separate. That's exactly what Hashkacher Pratis means. So says the Pasuk, Hashem, the Jewish people, are like a chazan and kala. And because of that, Hashem says, my eyes are always open and appreciate that. Every moment, you're, you're not alone. It's impossible for you to be alone. If you were absolutely alone, then you wouldn't exist, right? If Hashem stopped paying attention to you, then you just wouldn't be. So if you are, it means that He's still thinking of you. And if he's still thinking of you, it means that you and him are one. Shkacha Partis changes everything. This is the avoid of the month of Tevez, ayin, to repair the eyes, to believe in Shkacha Partis in this way. Not just, okay, Hashem's watching, but to really, to really bring it to the heart what that means. This is why Yocheva, as I said, the mother of redemption, Maishu Rabbeinu, was born between the walls. Again, the walls meaning this idea of, of protection. That's what walls do, right? The walls in the olden days, you build a wall, a wall around the city to protect the city, to make sure that the city feels cocooned and feels protected. And everything that is in the city is part of that city. You understand? It's not just open and random and things just are open like that. When you put a wall on something, like the walls of a house, everything in the house, it's not just there's a chair and there's a washing machine and there's a couch and there's a table. You put walls around it, it's now a home. It's now a house. And every single piece now is part of that bigger picture. And it's now, it's just cozier. There's something different about when you put walls around something. The walls of Yerushalayim mean, mean symbolically that the Jewish people should feel, should be sensitive, that every single part of our lives are, are, being, are, are being enclosed and in, sort of enclosed within the, the embrace of the Rav that Hashem is, that we are in His home. That's what Hashem Brothers means. So, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu came to the world to teach the Jewish people this truth of how, that I am Hashem your God, and that's it. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu means. 
What is Moshe? Moshe gives us a Torah. What is Torah about? Torah is not just about do this, do that, go to Gan Eden, avoid, avoid Gehenna. That's not what Torah is. That's not what Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to give over. What Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to give over is a feeling and a sense that we are in Hashem's world. I'll give you an example. You know, at the end of 40 years, when Moshe Rabbeinu you know, is almost finished, uh, you know, he's almost about to be Nifter. So Moshe Rabbeinu says the following thing. He says that, you know, there's an idea, Moshe Rabbeinu says, that when a person learns something from their Rebbe, it, the Gemara says that it takes 40 years to really absorb the teachings of a Rebbe. It takes 40 years. And so Moshe says to the Jewish people, okay, so it's been 40 years, now I can give you, like, my real, what, I'm really, what I've been trying to, like, give over for 40 years, now you can really get. So the Jewish people are sitting there and expecting, okay, now you're going to tell me, like, the deepest ideas, the, the most complicated concepts, right? What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? After 40 years, now you, can, now you could finally, after being with me for 40 years, now you could finally get the point. And what's the point? Hashem Ulekim, Bashamai Mimal, Valoras Mitochas, Einoid. That Hashem is the God in heaven and the God of the earth. There's nothing else. Not that there's no other God. There's nothing else. Einan Mulvata, there's nothing else but the Rabbanish Shalom. That's, Moshe Rabbeinu says, that's what I've been trying to say for 40 years. So Moshe Rabbeinu's mother is born between the walls of Mitzrayim. Between the walls. As the Jewish people move from Eretz Yisrael into Golis, the Rabbanu Shalom puts the refuah before the Makkah, right, the cure before the sickness. Moshe Rabbeinu's mother is born between the walls because that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is about. Moshe Rabbeinu means keeping the eyes open. It means keeping the Jewish people's eyes open to remember that Hashem is always watching and we are surrounded by the walls of Yishalayim always. This is why Davka, his mother, is born between the walls. A mother... A mother and an Asia Israel, a woman, a Jewish woman, has this specific ability. That the, the, a, 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 a Jewish woman is custom made, is pre, predisposed to have this ability of hashkacha pratis. Of first of all, even simply, like you know, women are better than men at paying attention to all the details of what's going on in the house, juggling a million bulls. You're just, just better at it. But on a deeper level, where is that coming from? is that the neshama of a Jewish woman is more sensitive to this truth of Bashkach HaPratis, that everything is part of this bigger, bigger home, this bigger house, this bigger walled city that's called, you know, that's called life. And everything is part of that picture. Moshe Rabbeinu's strength comes from his mother, Yucheved. And that's why Yucheved and Miriam, we know, they never gave up on Moshe, right? They never gave up on Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu's life, coming a couple parshas from now, Moshe Rabbeinu's life is the first story where you see, like, unbelievable Bashkach HaPratis. See, in the stories of Rashis, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, you don't see divine providence. I mean, you see Hashem telling them what to do. So Hashem tells Avram Avinu, okay, go to Lech Lecha. Hashem tells Yitzchak, do this. He tells Yaakov, do that. But Hashkacha Patis, those like, wow, I can't believe it worked out like that. What a coincidence. Maisha Avinu is the first one to have that, right? Maisha Avinu, what happens? Right? Yechavik gives birth to Maisha, and we know there was a decree from Paro to kill all the baby boys, so she puts him in a basket, right? And wow, the, 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 the last thing you would ever think, that the daughter of Paro himself goes to the Nile to, to bathe, and she finds the baby boy, and Moshe Rabbeinu, the redeemer of the Jewish people, is raised in the house of Paro. What a coincidence. Moshe Rabbeinu is the first one that his life story is Hashgah Pratis like that. And Miriam is watching the whole time, because Miriam and Yocheved, they understand that, of course, it's going to work out like that. Of course, Hashgah Pratis, the eyes are open. Born between the walls. It's always like that. Moshe Rabbeinu, 
Moshe Rabbeinu comes forth to teach us this truth. That's the Avayid of this month. And that's why, like I mentioned in the beginning, Asar Tevis is such an important fast. This Friday, it's an important fast. So much so that it would even override Shabbos. Because Shabbos is also about the eyes being opened. Right? What's the first thing we do on Shabbos to bring in Shabbos? You light Shabbos candles, right? Why? What's the purpose of Shabbos candles? So the purpose of Shabbos candles, as the Gemara says, is in order to illuminate the house that back in the day didn't have electric lights, in order to make sure that you don't, you know, nighttime comes, you don't, you're not bumping into walls, you're not bumping into chairs. For Shalom Bayis, the Gemara says. The Gemara says that there should be Shalom Bayis in the house. What does it mean to have Shalom Bayis? It says that the house should be lit, that no one should bump into things and you should be able to see what you're eating and see who you're talking to. The house should be lit. The eyes. That's what Shabbos means. Shabbos is a day where the Pasuk describes Shabbos as Ladas Ken Yashem that you should know that I am Hashem that's making you holy. What does it mean to know that Hashem is making us holy? It means that every single moment is holy. Shabbos is unique. Shabbos means everything we do on Shabbos is automatically holy, right? If you think about it. During the week, so to do something holy, you have to do something holy. You have to daven, you have to open a tillin. You have to do something holy, but just eating a cookie is not holy. Just sitting there and doing nothing is not holy. Shabbos is not like that. Sitting and doing nothing on Shabbos is holy because you're not doing malacha, right? You're not uh, working. You're not violating one of the prohibitions of Shabbos. By sitting there and doing nothing, automatically it's holy. By eating a cookie on Shabbos, it's automatically holy. It's called Einik Shabbos. Shabbos means that everything is within the walls of Yishalayim. You follow? Shabbos means the eyes are open, that everything is important, everything is significant. There's no throwaway moment, there's no throwaway experience. That's what Shabbos means. And so Asar Tevis, which, which again, is a fast which was an assault against the walls of Yishalayim. So that, when we fast on Asar Tevis, we're trying to, re- to rectify that problem. Let's understand, when, when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege against the walls of Yishalayim, it wasn't just a historical event. Something was happening within the soul. And there was an attack against this idea about the eyes, of the walls, of that feeling of being embraced by Hashem at all times. That was under siege. That was under attack. And so we rectify that. We mach- we're machazic, our belief in Hashem Pratis by fasting on Hashem Tevis, and even on Shabbos. Because Shabbos, the essence of Shabbos is this belief in Hashem Pratis. That's what Shabbos is. So that's the Avayda of the month, Hashgach HaPratis. To be able to be mechazeg, maybe to pick, in practical terms, I think, I mean, I'll try to do myself, you know there, that throughout the month, you pick a moment every day. You pick a moment, it could be random, it, it, literally, it could be eating a cookie, whatever it is, a random thing, and you just remind yourself that the reason why this is happening right now, the Rabbanu Shalom just did it for me. Whatever it is, you, you're driving somewhere, and you hit a red light. You remind yourself, why, why did I just hit a red light? Because that's what happens. You get red lights. That's what happens. No, no, no. Ashkach HaPratis. The wanted me to stop driving right now and just to sit here right now. Why? I have no idea. But you take these moments to remind yourself of Ashkach HaPratis. That's the void of the month of Tevis. Right, let, me, let, me, let, me, uh, let me end with, with a quick story. That's already right. Let me end with a quick story. There's um, there was a big tzaddik Mayor Primishlana, who was a good tzaddik. And uh, when he passed away, so in, his son was offered to become like the next leader, but uh, his son turned it down. He didn't want to. And instead, it went to Ramir's prime student. Okay. So the story goes like this that at some point, uh, a couple years later, at some point, there was a, uh, a particular girl in the neighborhood over there that fell into trouble. And uh, she was engaged to a non-Jew. 
And it was devastating for the family, the whole town was not, you know. And they wanted to keep it away from the Rebbe. They didn't want the Rebbe to find out. He would just be upset by it. But somehow he found out. And so the Rebbe said to the, to the Gabbai, to people in charge, like, I want to I speak to her. Let me, let me arrange a meeting that I should, I should meet with her. He said this on Shabbos. They arranged something for Masjid Shabbos. And he said, like, even if she says no, like, you know, make, make sure she comes. I said, they said that, the, the, you know, the Rabbi wants to meet you. She said, I'm not interested. They said, you know, you know they, they told you, you have to come. So eventually she comes. And she goes into, uh, into the Rebbe's house. And he's sitting there. Doesn't say anything. He's just, he's just there. And she walks in, and she looks at him, and he looks at her. Nothing. 30 seconds, a minute. And she just begins to cry. And she begins to, like, Mom, she fall apart. And, like, she says, I'm so sorry for everything I'm doing. I'm, my life is, Mom, is in shambles. I have to get out of this. And, and she just does tshuva, like, without him saying anything. He's just looking at her. And so fine. And that's what happens. And she, you know, breaks off the engagement, and, you know, happily ever after. So meanwhile... After Shabbos, now this is a huge story in town. That the tzaddik was able just to look at look at her and get her to do tshuva just by looking without saying a word. It was like a huge, huge story. So everyone's talking about this. And meanwhile, the old rabbi's son is hearing the story. He said, "He said one second. What, what did he do? And he said like he looked at her and and that was it. So he's like, oh, I'm so upset at him. I have such tightness. So, so he says, I have to go visit him. So he puts in his coat. Everyone's following. He goes and they're expecting like maybe he's I don't know. Something. So he goes there and he says, he says, he says, Rabbi, is it true what they're saying? He said, what? He said that, that this woman came and, and, and you looked at her and she did tshuva. So you know, he shrugs his shoulders. And then he begins to cry and he says, he says, Rabbi, if you have such if you have such eyes like that, why don't you look at me? Like, look at me. I'll do tshuva. like get me to do tshuva. I have to do tshuva. Look at me like that. Why haven't you looked at me like that in all these years? So the Rabbi says, listen. He says, because I know that you can do it yourself. I know you can do it yourself. This girl, I saw that she needed help, so I had to look at her like that. But you, I know you can do it yourself. So the eyes have an ability, you know, when, when we make eye contact, you know, there's a lot that's communicated with eye contact, you know, maybe sometimes even more so than just with words, you know. And so Hashem is looking at us. When Hashem looks at you, and you sense that gaze of Hashem, and you look back, more is communicated with that gaze than just with words. And that itself can motivate a person to do tshuva, to become bigger, to become greater. You know, that eye, the eyes of Hashem. Eini Hashem al-Kechaba, Yereshes HaShana, Arach Rishana. Eini Hashem al-Tzadikim, Eini Hashem al-Yireyev. So, our tefillah together is that we should resolve to have good eyes, to repair our eyesight, to believe in Hashem al-Pratis, to believe in Hashem is watching over us, He's protecting us, He's, you know, his, his, He's embracing us at all times, and we're living in His, in his home, and we should resolve together to continue building His home in the right way, to build our homes in the right way, places where Hashem should be proud to be able to dwell, as he, he's already living there, he might as well make him comfortable, you know, so Hashem should, uh, should bless each and every one of you, they should continue to go from strength to strength, and, you know, uh, and live up to the kaiches that you have as, uh, as uh, good Jewish women. We zech together to, to see the, the, the return of, of us to Yerushalayim, ayin by an Yerushalayim, let's see, v'yesko al tzadig meher v'meinu amen.